I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey everyone, it's another episode of Sneaker Salaries. I'm John Kim. And I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And today we're joined by Jeff Cole. Jeff's an artist and a digital media creator. Uh, He's also a co-founder of Iconic, and you may definitely recognize him for his uh, unique artwork that he posts on his Instagram, and he's been reposted by celebrities, pro athletes worldwide, and he has over 700,000 Instagram followers. Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, guys, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so Jeff, you know, you clearly are inspired by 90s culture. You're from the Chicago area. Uh, Some of your concepts are amazing. They've kind of swept the internet. We've been talking about that Michael Jordan, Michael Scott meme for a while that's traveled. So you know, being from Chicago, can you touch on your origin story and kind of give the audience a little bit of your backstory? I was like kind of an art kid growing up. Um, my mom put me in art art classes, um, I think when I was six years old. So after school, she would drive me to separate art classes, probably, I think three times a week. It wasn't until I probably was around maybe seven or eight when I started drawing and discovering Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the early 90s uh, or no, yeah, mid 90s. Um, and everything I did was Jordan. I used to draw Jordan and every, you know, homework assignment, whether it was like a writing assignment, a drawing assignment, um, you know, kids used to come to me to draw logos on their phones. Um, I was just known as that kid. And I actually grew up down the street from the Birdo Center, which is where the Bulls practiced. Uh, so every day after school uh, in high school and junior high, I would, I would ride my bike there and wait and sit outside and get autographs. And I would try and sneak in the building. So my, basically my life was revolved around, you know, Jordan and the Bulls growing up. And that kind of brought me into, you know, rap culture and then obviously sneaker culture. But I was just always fascinated by pop culture and kind of creating things around pop culture. And it's just crazy that I've been, I was doing it before I even had my first memory. So I have drawings, hundreds of drawings that I've never, I don't even remember creating. And here I am doing the same, you know, the same stuff. So it's pretty fun. Did you ever get paid to do any drawings when you, you mentioned that uh, your classmates would ask you to, to draw logos for them and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, this was before kind of phone cases were out, right, where you can kind of customize and uh, Nokia kind of you could clip, you know, cases on. I was just painting on the original backs of Nokia phones and stuff um, before phone cases came out. But, yeah, I was charging, you know, 10, 15 bucks, you know, 20 bucks to paint a little, you know, Jordan logo kind of whenever they're was going on. I actually used to collect kind of like rare Jordan stuff. So I don't know if you guys remember, I had like the Jordan um, MP3 player that came out. Like, and I used to get like the Jordan loafers, like the weird stuff, just the stuff that kind of people, you know, didn't have. I always found the weird things uh, fascinating. So I used to collect kind of weird Jordan things. Nice. So, you know, you were doing stuff at school. You did a lot of school projects. That's really how I got started too. You kind of get obsessed with certain things and you start to go down that path. So at what point, you know, kids and uh, are trying to figure out where their place in the world is. Parents are saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? All this other stuff. You know, at what point did you kind of get more serious about art and kind of start going down that path of being an eventual creative for a career? I kind of knew this was what I was going to do, you know, obviously since I was very little, but um, yeah, you know, some of my teachers would actually set me aside and say, Hey, can your parents come in? I just want to talk to them about like your potential, uh, you know, occupational goals. And this was like junior high back when it was, that was, that didn't happen really. So that I kind of knew that was, that was obviously very unconventional. Like teachers weren't having parent conferences randomly, you know, for anyone. So, you know, they used to 
bring my parents in and, you know, they would bring books, you know, and this, I didn't really care. I was playing basketball. I, I didn't really care a lot about art. I knew I was good at it. I was, you know, there's that quote that, um, you know, obviously talent only goes so far. Right. So I, I kind of up to that point, talent got me to this point and I knew I need to kind of get my shit together, kind of go all, all in on this. And this, that kind of happened during college when I actually failed my first art class and uh, not because of my abilities, but I actually missed over 60% of the class. And technically you fail automatically. And so the teacher put me aside for a different reason. She said, Hey, you know, I technically have to fail you for this class. It was a, a figure drawing class. Cause at, at this point I was majoring in illustration and she's like, listen, stay after school on Wednesday, um, draw with me for two hours and I'll teach you some things and I'll, I'll pass you. But you know, technically I should fail you. And that's when I kind of, it was like my kick in the ass, like, holy shit. Like, you know, I was partying a lot. I, I went to Arizona. So I was a, you know, big party. I was in a frat, all that stuff. So I kind of like lost focus. And that was kind of a big kick in the ass knowing that I was going to fail and I was probably the best one in the class. So uh, I think after that, that sit down with her and it was a little heart to heart, um, I kind of took it seriously. And um, I transferred, went to IU for illustration, um, Indiana. And I really focused then, didn't go out at all. And that's when I started uh, learning how to design on the computer by myself and kind of took my life into my own hands. So that was junior year of college. That's pretty crazy that on two separate occasions that you had, you know, teachers who recognized your talent and went out of their way to not only bring your parents in and say, hey, we want to, you know, talk to you about your kid. Because usually it's about yeah. something bad. Exactly. And then also in college where she could have just easily have failed you. And said, you know what, I kind of see something in you. And if you put in the work, we're going to pass you. So, And then you end up in Indiana. And that's kind of where you picked up, you said, like Photoshop and things of that nature. And that's yeah. uh, most of where, uh, where your work is. Broke college kid. Um, had to make some money. Um, I needed a new laptop. So I did a couple. Lo I learned how to do logos. Um, and I just, that's, that's how I started. I went on Craigslist. You know, I'm a designer. Uh, this is when Craigslist was like not sketchy. And I got some of my first opportunities on Craigslist. I actually got a really unique opportunity designing shirts for the Bulls and Cubs for some of the vendors outside the stadiums. And that was like my first kind of real opportunity that I had um, making, obviously, some money to continue my path. But um, yeah, it just was self-teaching and that work ethic of, you know, I had nothing, man. I, I had like 20 bucks. My parents didn't give me any money. You know, I needed a new computer. So that was my way of just like kind of creating a portfolio. It was just me just figuring it out. I like that. You know, we've we've kind of found that is the common theme with everybody we've talked to so far on this show is just that grit and that ability to kind of hustle and figure it out, you know. And I think it is a blessing in disguise that your parents didn't give you money, right? Because you never know if they would have just gave you money if you would have had to hustle that hard and and figure it out. So, you know, once you started figuring it out, you know, you're seeing people potentially wearing your shirts, you know, from outside the stadium and, and the arena when did things get serious? You know, when did you look at it? Okay. You parlayed that into the next thing. What was the yeah. next thing after that? Well, let me just, so I had probably every design job in the book from, I mean, I was free. I've never stopped freelancing um, ever since I started, you know, making my own portfolio. But um, I mean, I, I worked under Def Jam. I, I was doing my own clothing lines. Um, I actually had a corporate design job, um, which was very weird because I was like the youngest person in there by like 15 years and I got fired from that because I was working on my freelance during that desk job. So like in between college and then 
when things started to progress, I had every job you can imagine, you know, product designing, everything. So um, I guess things got serious when, you know, I moved out to L.A. for this hat company called Mellon. I was their uh, product designer and graphic designer. And after my six-month review, they didn't hone it up to all the promises they were giving me. And it was a big move, you know, moving across country, basically with no insurance on, like, what my future was going to look like. I had a low-paying kind of senior-level design job. And they didn't come through. So one day I just was fed up. I came home and this, me and my business partner, now Mark, we're in this shitty apartment in Carlsbad, San Diego. And we're just like, dude, like, I'm sick of this. We were underpaid, underutilized, you know, under incentivized. Um, and we're like, let's just start drop shipping some art. And at this point I was decorating my apartment with art just because I had a lot, a lot of people over all the time. And obviously they knew I was an artist. So it was fun to have people over and have, you know, the walls full of art and, um, I used to, you know, drop ship from this one company and Mark's like, hey, let's try that. Let's, let's, let's just start selling some of your art. So, you know, the first day we did that, we sold 12 prints or yeah, 12 canvas prints in, in like an hour. And that's crazy to us. This was like insane because like we come from the background of designing clothing lines and designing products, which could take two months to get a sample, right? And then you have to shoot the samples. And if something's messed up, you got to redo the, the CAD, send it back to the factory. And so to just put something online on the, the distribution of Instagram and an hour later get sales that are direct deposited into your account was like a very foreign um, concept to us. And this was 2016. And that's when we knew like, wow, I think we have something here or there. We can kind of barter Instagram accounts that we knew for distribution and get those sales within, you know, instantly. And that's when like my, it clicked for me and my brain just started to realign to back when I was a kid, I'm like, hey, you know, I could think of stuff right now, make it and distribute it. And now I'm not in my classroom with my classmates, but the world of Instagram. And I knew, you know, about all the hashtag stuff early. I like to tell the story in 2012 when Instagram came out, I remember, you know, the hashtag streetwear, hashtag sneakerhead had like 20 posts on it, like 10 posts. So I knew all the big accounts already. So, you know, this was before Hypebees, before all these big accounts came out, you know, sneaker news. So I was a very early adopter and kind of figuring out the free distribution play. And then it wasn't until 2016 where I actually kind of really deployed it um, heavy. But my sneaker art journey started in 2013. I just want to quickly uh, go back to how you said, you know, how Instagram played a big role in you being able to grow your business. And I think a lot of people during that phase of, you know, 2012 to 2016 is when, you know, people made businesses for themselves. Yeah. I mean, inf that's what influencers are, too, I guess. You know, they made businesses out of themselves. And um, but for people who can create products such as yourself, you know, kind of hack the system a little bit that, you know, the traditional way of you know creating samples and passing through layers of approval and blah, yeah. blah, blah. That takes months and months, whereas hey, this is my own thing. I can make it and the way I want it and I could sell it directly to the people who want it and cut out the middleman, right? So at that time in 2016, when you were, uh, when you first sold those 12 prints, uh, where did you sell it on? Was that on your personal or did you guys work with other vendors? No, it was, um, we just made a site, iconic.com. We, we made it the same day I made the prints. Um, literally, it was so janky. And it's funny because that, the name, you know, I probably spent years and years thinking of like brand names, right? I think we all have done that. Like cool brand names back when like streetwear was big. Everyone was thinking of the cool new, new next streetwear name. 
And this one just came, I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm recreating iconic images and creating iconic images for the next generation. So the name just came quickly. Um, I just spelled it differently, made the domain, put the, a couple prints up, and that was it. It was very simple, very easy. Um, that was kind of how it started, and how that, that's how Iconic started. But my sneaker journey was entirely different, and mm-hmm. that was a, a very, very cool thing. And it was just me, too. So that's why I really like it. It was just my literally my brain being deployed into the universe without obviously any help. So it was fun. I mean, on social media, I think that's probably what you're best known for is the, the sneaker yeah. photoshops and all those things. So let's talk about that journey first. What's the first piece that you made that you felt put you on the map, at least on the sneaker scene? So the first thing I've ever, I ever did was in 2013. Um, I didn't know how to use Photoshop. Every Christmas up into that point, I kind of made it kind of a goal of mine to challenge myself and learn a new medium. And that Christmas 2013 was Photoshop. Didn't know how to use it. I was mainly only Illustrator. And this was when the Red Octobers re-released, or I think first came out. I can't remember if it was like the first real release of them, but Mm -hmm. it was big, obviously on social media. This is when the sneaker culture was really getting birthed into like coming up in the popular culture. So the Red Octobers were coming out and I thought it was just a super cool idea. Let's morph Kanye West's face into the Red Octobers. And um, I'm like, let's learn Photoshop this way. So that was my first ever Photoshop thing I've done. And it was that one. And obviously I didn't have any followers. I had like 2000 followers and I just put out to my people. I printed it on canvas and nothing happened. But um, three years later, the 350 Boost came out. And that was kind of like, I think when sneaker culture really started to boom. Um, When people who weren't into sneaker culture just became into it by default because, you know, it was now into fashion and all the accounts were picking it up. And we, we all have to thank Kanye for that because that was huge in, in, in sneaker culture. So I decided, hey, let's redo that same concept of Kanye's face. So I made him his face out of the 350 Boost and did all my hashtag arbitrage. And that's when every sneaker account picked it up. And so I think every day after that, I did a different one. Um, just to, you know, piggyback off that momentum. I think I got like 10,000 followers within like a couple of weeks. And then my skill set, obviously me learning Photoshop really accelerated then because I didn't know that first one you saw was like me really learning and figuring it out. So every day I just got better and better and better. So you, you saw kind of my skill set progress at the same time with my concepts and you'll, you'll see the depth started to enhance. So um, for my followers, is a really cool journey to see so many things kind of run parallel um, at the same time. And um, that's kind of how it all started. So can you touch on that a little bit more? So when it comes to the business side of things, there's a lot of really great artists out there, super talented, don't really know how to monetize that. So can you touch on kind of how you monetize things? Obviously you had prints, but then kind of how you took things to the next level. Funny enough, I haven't really monetized my my, my Instagram page like you would assume I would, right? Um, like, I don't know if you know who like kick posters is and a bunch of these other, you know, accounts or sneaker accounts, they're all selling prints. Um, but I wanted to do it the authentic way. I didn't want to obviously sell Nike stuff without having a license. Obviously with my company iconic, we have licenses for everything we do. Um, you know, peanuts, monopoly, Muhammad Ali, NBA, all those are officially licensed. So I actually haven't launched my personal sneaker art page yet or, where people can actually buy tangible things from my sneaker art. It's kind of just for the community. And that's kind of, I think, maybe what propelled me a little higher was just kind of doing it for the sneaker culture and not really 
wanting to monetize it early. It was strictly for people to enjoy it and to add value to the community. And that was kind of why I started the sneaker stuff is because, you know, when Nike would do a photo shoot, they would send it to all the sneaker accounts and the sneaker accounts would just reshare the same images of, you know, on that classic on white or on, you know, gray backgrounds. And I was like, you know, there's got to be, there's definitely a hole in the sneaker culture because like all these rich materials, all the rich storylines, there's so many different things that are going on into these, in these shoes. But it, the only thing that was being shared was these just images, these plain images of them. So that's kind of where the idea of like, okay, there's a huge white space in the in sneaker art and sneaker culture to tell more stories and to bring in more distribution of different things. And, you know, I'm going to soon monetize it in the way kind of you would you would hope and all my fans would. You know, my, my most requested DM is, you know, where could I buy this art? Um, you can't. But a lot of the, you know, marketing campaigns I've done with, you know, Adidas, Nike and Jordan, some of those are front facing and some of those are secret. Some of them, you know, they don't want me to tell that uh, I'm putting out, but it's um, actually with them um, just basically because I'm utilizing IP that's not theirs and stuff. So some of the stuff you see is with the brand. Some of them are front facing. Um, but in terms of monetizing, yeah, um, I think some of those really early opportunities with like Complex and Champ Sports and Foot Locker and um, Nike and Adidas and Jordan of like helping tell the story of their campaigns and shoes that were coming out. That's where I kind of monetized it. But, you know, like I said, those are like little one-off projects and not something tangible you can get besides obviously buying the shoe. So um, that's something you'll, you'll, you'll start to see in 2021. Cool. And I think, you know, I guess what I'm talking more about is how you took, you know, you starting to do art, you had your classmates and then you're, you know, doing some selling some prints, but then from there you have iconic and you started getting these licensed deals. And, and that's a, that's a big step. You know, that's a big next level play. Can you talk about that a little bit just so people understand more of your business now on that end? Yeah. So, um, once we started on, you know, paid media in uh, March, 2017, um, some of my new prints went actually went viral on Facebook. And that's kind of when the business kind of really exploded. The first month we started ads, we were doing well over six figures. And for us, that was absolutely insane. So I think the first, I think the first couple million dollars me and Mark just did part-time, maybe 10% of our time in between the hours of like 7 to 9 a.m. And then, you know, 6 p.m. to midnight. It really was just a lot of the things went viral on Facebook. Obviously, when you you're doing canvas creative you control the product right because the product is the art so it's not like i was selling you know let's just say cowboy boots or sneakers where you're just putting sneakers online and seeing them sell this was i was creating the product you know in its entirety so i really got to control you know the behavior of the users and understand you know buyer psychology what people were sharing on instagram you know at this point a lot of people were, you know, DMing memes to each other, you know, obviously photography and quotes. That was like, obviously you guys, your friends probably DM you funny quotes, you know, dope photography from accounts. But I noticed there was nothing tangible um, that people could, you know, have. And I'm like, you know what, there's a huge, you know, hole in the market for affordable art that people are consuming. And obviously the subjects that are people that, that are people interested in 20, in that time frame. Um, so I thought, you know, recreating iconic images from Instagram, you know, memes and all this stuff was very new, but you couldn't buy anything. So that's kind of where it started. And I could, you know, once I put that on Facebook and, you know, we saw a lot of, you know, momentum, we started to get licenses one by one. And now we're kind of the first, you know, art brand 
we're not like a marketplace with a ton of different artists. There's only one artist and that's me. And we'll work with different, you know, licenses and mix their IP kind of 50-50 with Iconic. So Iconic is kind of motivating, inspiring through storytelling. And then we'll take an IP that I think will do well and that have some sort of synergies and kind of play off that. And um, one of our, my most proud licenses, Monopoly, because, you know, before this Monopoly was seen in this like, not negative light, but, you know, not, not, not greedy. It, it kind of comes off as like this like greedy game and only focus about money. But I, I thought there was a lot of, you know, potential there to unlock different messaging there. And so I think a lot of brands like how we can kind of take a nostalgic brand like Monopoly and Peanuts is and kind of reinvent it in this like new digital era. I think going back to what you said of how you get to control the product, I think that's really the goal of all the, of anyone who's an artist, you know, you you want to sell your own thing. I mean, of course there's great careers for artists, you know, when you work for like a firm or like a design agency or stuff like that. Yeah. And then you've kind of built it up to this pretty unique space where you're combining your talent with, you know, with an IP and you've created these dope collaborations. And you've mentioned uh, that, you know, you've done stuff with uh, Nike, Jordan, Adidas, and it could be just like a storytelling thing or maybe because the brands can't use it. Is there any like a, a brand or maybe like a shoe that you would love to collaborate with? I really want to do obviously something where kind of like my sneaker art is is put on a higher pedestal and kind of to me, that's the hardest skill set in terms of what I do is those sneaker art mashups. So I would really like to see that celebrated a little bit more whether it's with Jordan, Nike, or Adidas. But that style for me is is my favorite. I think it's the most challenging. A lot of artists can't do it. You know, a lot of people have tried, um, you know, they send me their renditions of it. You know, I've had a lot of success with creating these surreal moments. If you notice, like LeBron posted um, a couple of my Kobe tributes and um, a lot of those kind of surreal uh, movie-esque poster and moments have gotten a lot of um, a lot of praise, but that skill set isn't in terms of if you were to like, rank them. The sneaker art literally is so much harder and takes so much more creativity that I would really like to see that celebrate a little bit more. So doing something official with like a, a one of those brands would be really cool for me. Um, doesn't really matter what shoe, to be honest, but um, something where I could showcase my talent and 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 really challenge myself. Cause like I said, I love challenging myself is like, that's really what gets me going. And um, those always like, when I start one of those, it's kind of like, I don't really have a plan in mind. I kind of just go off the cuff and it's, it's probably the most exciting thing I do. Cause I never know how they're going to turn out. Like what, like what materials are going to turn into what part of the, the mashup. So um, yeah, something official with, you know, brand like Nike or Adidas um, w- w- would be, you know, pretty awesome. And, Obviously, creating my own shoe is is um, another pinnacle. Maybe the uh, Michael Scott signature shoe. Oh my god! Actually, <laughs> if you guys don't know me, I'm the biggest Office fan, and I'm a biggest Jordan fan. So like that design for me is like my number one ever thing I've ever done. So um, I think I might do a second version to celebrate it coming off of Netflix and it being the greatest show of all time. So for those of you listening that don't know what we're talking about, uh, Cole did a mashup of Michael Scott and Michael Jordan, you know, two of the greatest ever. And uh, I actually sent that to John on Instagram when I saw it. It, Can you talk about that piece, creating that piece? Obviously, you're a big fan of both both things, but also then the impact that had. That thing was insanely viral. It it went across the entire internet and and is super popular. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, see, that's what I try and do, right? So everything I create has an intention of going viral. And and the formula for that 
is to basically create, you know, this perfect storm of events, right? Obviously, they're both named Michael, like they're both the goats. So I, I take a lot of things that are already popular amongst kind of social media and try and combine them. So I'll, it's almost like a puzzle, taking two different puzzle pieces and finding them and making sure they fit perfectly. And that's just another instance where conceptually I, I found two different things that really were fit in parallel together, but you would never think to go together, right? And I, I try and do that with, you know, the sneaker art. I try and do that in, in pop culture. So I take try and take two things that are completely opposite, that have two completely different demographics and combine them. And so I can really get a huge, vast net of people that can relate to one thing, right? You get Office fans, you get Jordan fans, you get pop culture fans, you get all these people. And I think that's kind of how I think of, you know, my designs is I try and create a perfect storm of demographics and, and audiences together. But um that one just was a perfect alignment. And that's really what I try and do with everything I, I, I do in art is try and make it cater to the most amount of people. I don't care whether I monetize off it. I just care that people like it. I've been doing it, you know, like I said, since a kid. It's been something I've always loved doing is finding something that I can create and have the most amount of people enjoy it. When you're creating that though, right? You're sitting at your computer kind of playing around with Michael Scott, Michael Jordan. Are you thinking dude, this shit is going to be insane or yeah. like what, what's going through your head? For certain ones. Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't start on something without knowing, Hey, I think this has potential, but like that one, I just knew just cause it was too perfect. Like the Michael, Michael, obviously um, years before ESPN always posts, you know, on this day, the office beat the, the warehouse workers. So like I noticed that like ESPN, like this was now cross pollinating into different you know, audiences. So yeah, it's really just knowing the interests of people. I, I knew it that one though. Um, but but it's, it's always disappointing when I, you think you have something and then it just kind of doesn't do as well. But uh, that one for sure was like, I get goosebumps. I remember like pressing the, the post button and just knowing that, that, that hopefully that will go down in history as like a, an iconic image. Um, similar to like the LeBron one with uh, Kobe, that one was intentionally made to hopefully be in historic photo. Like I try and create stuff with the intention that it will last throughout the ages and hopefully be a, uh, a visual for that people remember. And that's part of the plan, man. It's, it's part of the plan when I go into it. I think you're definitely right about how a lot of uh, cross pollinated ideas are really big right now, where you take two seemingly separate worlds and you kind of combine it. But of course it has to be, yeah, it, it has to be a natural collaboration, obviously like, Michael Jordan and Michael Scott. And yeah, they're they're the goats of their respective uh, fields, I guess you could say. But another uh, trend on your page that's really taken off, I would say, probably within the last years of you photoshopping contemporary sneakers on yeah. old school photos of MJ. And I'm talking about, you know, the, the Dior ones from the dunk contest or uh, Travis Scott's PlayStation dunk, stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, the, the idea is cool, but you, you definitely have the talent to back it up. So uh, where do you get some of these ideas or do people just pitch them to you or do you just kind of have no. like a vat of ideas just waiting for, you know, pen to paper? So see, with those, it sucks. It sucks because those require the least amount of skill. Right. Um, but I pride myself on the concept and picking the right photos, right? So I have a you know archive bank of Jordan photos that will work you know compositionally, and obviously like everything everything is in play right. Jordan's expression, like where his eyes are going, like what he's doing, what he's wearing, like the, the context of the photo is very important. So those are the things that kind of propel the skill level to, of that Photoshop 
So like the Photoshop skill level is very low, but the concept and all the those intangible things that go along with it, like picking the right photo, picking the right shoe, you're matching a lot of different styles and um, things at once with those. So like that, that's just an example of something that has a low skill level where I try to bring the most other skill set in other areas to try and um, elevate kind of that concept. And people obviously photo do the same thing, but they don't really nail all those other things that go along with that image. Um, but that's a perfect business plan though, right? You have low investment and higher return, right? So it's kind of like true, you yeah. understand your skill, you're, you're implementing that, you know, very, very favorable formula to, you know, your uh, Instagram feed. And yeah. know, that's how you built your fan base too. And like you said, even though you're not necessarily monetizing off of it, you're definitely pushing the culture forward. You're visualizing a lot of conversations of that people already have like, oh, Michael Jordan or Michael Scott, who's the goat? Or how sick would it be if MJ were the dear ones or, you know, stuff like that. But aside from that too, you know, you do a lot of uh, artwork with like superheroes. And that's another thing that seems to be a common theme. Um, do you have any other like potential ideas of merging those two, like Mar- the Marvel DC world with NBA? I, I, I want to, but like like I said, I like I cater to the people, and like right now, you know, obviously with with movies being shut down and a lot of movies got postponed, like the hype for Marvel and DC isn't as high as like it once was right. back, you know, back when like Game of Thrones was coming out and all these different shows. So like everything's very calculated. So I look at kind of where trends are right now, and I wouldn't do anything that I don't think would get the most exposure, but and that's not saying I wouldn't and that I don't, but um, I'm kind of waiting for the ultimate hype levels to get up there. And then obviously align it with a shoe that's um, dropping soon. So like, I definitely look at all those things. All They all come into play um, when I'm designing, but those period of times are, were definitely my favorite when I was, when, you know, all the Marvel movies were crushing it and um, all the new shoes, obviously it's, it's a very sensitive time. Right now, people mm-hmm. losing jobs and a lot of people can't, you know, spend money on sneakers right now. So like those sneaker mashups might not be, you know, what people are looking for right now, just because that's mm-hmm. not where people are investing their time and um, their energy. So I definitely pivot based on what people are are interested in. And um, as far as those Jordan ones, it's funny. So I, I'm constantly thinking of new concepts that get you to stop scrolling in your Instagram feed. That's kind of like what everything I do comes down to, like, does this make you stop scrolling? And if it, if, if it's like iffy, then I, I probably will debt that concept, but um, it all starts with, does this make you stop? And obviously seeing Travis Scott's on Jordan in 85 will make you stop. So like, um, that's kind of where it, it all stems from. Like, does this grab your attention within the first, you know, millisecond? On that note, can you talk about maybe some advice for younger artists or any artist really trying to monetize their craft, trying to build their portfolio, and really just trying to move their life and career forward as a creative? Yeah, I mean, it all depends on like what you as an artist lo- like love doing. Like for me, I love catering to the people, and a lot of artists don't. They like catering to themselves. Like, like if I'm an artist and you know I don't really care about pop culture, but I love drawing birds, you know that's great. But you're gonna have a harder time probably monetizing that business. Because that's so, that's so niche and popular culture is so vast and so wide. So like, it's just me. I'm I have a very business mentality. So if you want to strictly monetize art, um, I highly recommend you know studying you know user behavior on whatever platform you're distributing your art. Right. So it's it's definitely just you you have to have a grasp on business and the like where the attention is, where the attention is going. If you want to monetize the art that you like creating and it might not be what everyone likes, 
expect a very, you know, maybe a slow success. But um, my always advice to, you know, young artists is, you know, put yourself in the actual position of the job or basically where you want to be. So like when I was, you know, I had no portfolio, I had, you know, no connections. Um, I loved music and I wanted to make album covers. So I pretended like I was the, you know, I was the art director for, you know, a major label. And Wiz Khalifa came to me and was like, yo, you know, I need an album cover. So I, I pretended I was in that seat. I made that art and then I found whoever was in that seat and say, hey, I will work for you for free. Just look at my art, give me tips. And that's kind of how I got my first job under Def Jam. They're like, hey, like, I love the way you approach this. Like, let's give you a couple of projects with, you know, mixtapes with some of the people under our label. Um, and that's always how I approached, you know, art or monetizing my art was pretending I was that role, pretending I was in that office, in those meetings. What are they talking about? What does the artist want? So it, it's really like role playing. It's really just doing it, man. It, it sounds it sounds cliche, but like literally just doing the art. Just creating a portfolio for you and 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 shopping it around. Like a lot of people don't even create a portfolio, which is mind blowing to me. They're just like, hey, like I like creating art, and they'll just like they'll draw some stuff and they'll create some stuff, but like they're not like creating an actual portfolio to pitch to someone. So like actually pretending like you have a huge interview coming up, and what do those people want from you? They're gonna say, hey, like I need a, an extensive portfolio. So like. I would make my own portfolio with my own experience and my own templates and and pretending like I was the person asking for that portfolio. So to me, it's just the best advice is put yourself in those seats. Basically, put yourself on the other side of that chair, on the other side of that decision and pretend you are the interviewer and you're the one making that decision for yourself. Before we move on, I want to go back to your kind of part of your story, right? Because that's great advice. It sounds like your approach is amazing. I think a lot of people can take notes from that. But can you just bring us back real quick to in college when you didn't show up to class and, and that was a key moment. You said it was a kick in the ass from your professor who kind of gave you a chance to pass the class. But what did you learn in that moment? Because I feel like that was kind of a big, uh, a key moment and a defining moment really for you to kind of start your your journey. Obviously, that was you know the start to everything. But um, it was not to, I mean, take my talent for granted. Um, I think up until that point my whole life, I was just taking it for granted and I wasn't exercising that muscle and I really wasn't using my brain. It sounds weird, but I wasn't using my brain. I was, it's funny because creating art, you got to be deep inside your, 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 your thoughts, man. You got to be alone a lot. You got to be like, I was partying a lot. I was, I was very social, you know, I was doing all these things and my time was being consumed by all these different things where I wasn't thinking about art. You know, I wasn't trying to go deep into concepts. Like I was actually, a t I was terrible at conceptual uh, development. I was bad at depth. Like I, I really only focused on the subject matter and really kind of punted the negative space in terms of art. I don't know if you know art and design, but like I was had zero interest in negative space. And it was just my one lesson was just, I took it for granted and once I just started thinking about art and actually studying it, and Gary Vee always says this, you know, point your weaknesses. But my weakness wasn't art. So I had weaknesses within my skill set of art that I wasn't doing. So I literally looked, I wrote a list down of all the things I wasn't good at in art, and I studied them, and I mastered them. Um, and I was actually executing while I was learning. And that's one thing I would recommend to, you know, kids is um, actually start doing by experience. Like, it's so hard to learn by reading stuff and not doing it. Um, like if, if you're trying to create music, you know, don't just read about music. Like actually get your hands dirty, um, be a practitioner. So I was you know, creating art while learning about it. I was 
making mistakes in negative space. I was learning typography um, and doing typography and I was getting clients. So I would actually be learning on, you know, the client's dime, which you really never want to do. But I think I had such a fast learning curve from growing up um, doing art my whole life that everything just came so natural. But like I was such a practitioner, man. I was in the dirt, in the weeds, doing everything myself. Um, so yeah, it's just being a practitioner, you know, don't take skill and talent for granted. You know, a lot of people see my Instagram account and they're like, oh my God, like, how'd you get all these followers? And like, I just, everything came so quickly, man. I've been doing this, like I said, since I was six years old. And I was getting, I mean, I was getting low paying jobs and working my ass off for decades. You know, I, I knew I had something special. Man, it's just, it's, it's just work. You gotta put in the work. Uh, it sounds really, it's like an easy formula to success, but if you really want success, man, you got to, you got to work your ass off. For sure. It just comes out of that. I think uh, what just what we've learned from, you know, what you just shared in your backstory is that, yeah, you have to work hard. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to make mistakes and, you know, talent can only take you too far. But uh, what I also learned from you is that, you know, preparation is also really important, right? Like be prepared, get Ooh, your ducks yeah. in a row. So when you when it's time for you to submit that you're just not all talk that you do have something to back it up. And I have one cheat code for all these, all, all you artists out here to actually, to go off that is I have a formula and I, I've never shared the formula, but I'll share it for you guys here. So I, I have an 80, 20 rule. So 20% is design for me at the execution of design. 80% is preparation, research, you know, everything. Like if I'm not creating, I'm literally doing extensive research. I'm building my, my, my folders. Um, I have folders broken into every different kind of um, design element you can think of. And I've been doing this, you know, ever since I learned how to design a computer. So I have hundreds and thousands of images all broken into different different folders. So when it comes down to execution, I, it's literally the last 20% of the job. 80% is upfront work and upfront just researching. And um, like you said, getting your ducks in order, like, organizing, mood boarding, uh, just getting inspired. Like I'll spend 40% just getting inspired because that's pretty much the whole battle is to literally have that feeling that like itch, like itching to create is like really hard to do. And like some days you don't want to do shit. So like even like figuring out a system and getting a system in place where it gets you to being inspired. Like I even have formulas for that. Like I know what it takes for me to like have that feeling of like, holy shit. Like, I just want to like destroy everybody right now in art. Like I got to create, like I have a formula to get me to that point. So like, it's, to me, it's, it's 80% of just preparation and what you see, what you actually see that final product is like the last 20%. What is, what is that formula? You don't have to share all the details if you don't want, but curious, I think we could all use a little inspiration and motivation. So what, what is that formula? Basically I've, I mean, I have folders for composition, typography, color schemes, uh, you know, different aesthetics, you know, logos, badges, uh, you know, apparel design, back hits. Like literally it goes on and on. I've, if there's any little design element, I'll create a new folder and I'll keep filling that folder. So like, I think that's what it's really helped me in my freelancing career was when a client needed something, I could perform quick because I had everything set up. I researched, I, I was already done with my development. So I think that was one thing that it, it was attractive to a lot of um, cut clients. And obviously, um, you know, when I went into interviews and that's why I got fired because I would finish everything so quickly, I would have nothing to do and I would just work on my own shit. And that's how I got fired that way, but it was perfect because obviously that propelled my, you know, my career even further, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's setting up systems and kind of really thinking about it in a different way. Like a lot of designers, even people I employ, 
they're kind of people who like open up your mood board and it's blank and they just go. They'll just create from a blank screen. And that is, for me, that is like the worst way to create. And that's, and some people that's, that's fine. And like, they'll go into a design, not knowing what it is. And they'll just be like, Hey, my ideas will just flow and I'll create a line and see where that takes me. I am the complete opposite. Um, I have everything, you know, ready to go before I design. I actually finished the design in my head before I even start. I actually won't start anything unless I know what it looks like in the end in my head. So that's also a good way to know when I'm not finished or when I am finished. So a lot of people like they'll never finish design. That's because they, they don't know what it looks like in the beginning. And that's because they started with a blank canvas um, with no real, um, real kind of intent. So I start with intent. I actually finish it in my head. Um, so I, I have a very kind of unorthodox way of doing it. But um, for me, it's very effective, um, especially in this digital era of speed and, um, and of consistency. Um, you need stuff like that to especially, you know, monetize it. So again, I just wanted to thank you, Jeff, for, for coming on. I know, again, you and I have been in contact for some time, you know, just on DMs and, um, you know, we've always admired your work and it's, it's, it's definitely stopped me in my tracks, especially the Michael Scott one. So appreciate all you contribute to uh, the culture, man. Thank you guys for having me. And yes, look out for more stuff of the Michael Scott. And, um, yeah, I just gave you some secrets. So listen up, young artists. You can check out Jeff at Cole on Instagram, and uh, I'm looking forward to that second Michael Scott. But uh, thank you again for everything, and and uh, have a great New Year. Yeah, thank you guys. Happy New Year too, and um, hope you guys stay safe right now. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries, and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B E E J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.